Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, we will go inside the seedy world of book censorship with Tony Lyons. He's founder of Skyhorse Publishing. He's going to tell us about efforts to silence Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and books on a lot of other topics that you want to read about. A lot of you have heard me say over the years that pretty much any form of communication or information that can be co-opted by propagandists and other special interests has been. And that is true, of course, about the world of book publishing. One might think that when it comes to publishing books, making films, doing things that are in the arts, that there's lots of freedom of expression. You should be able to read and see whatever you wish hear different viewpoints, different theories and ideas, and you can come to the conclusion as to whether you believe them or not or like them or not or want to read more. But just like other forms of information and communication, books are being censored too in ways that would surely have chilled our founding fathers. Today in this podcast, we're going to hear from the founder of Sky Horse Publishing, Tony Lyons. He's going to talk about how He pretty much ran a fairly ordinary publishing house until this whole environment we're talking about came to be with books being censored by people who didn't want certain uncomfortable truths or viewpoints widely disseminated. It began with what he says was censorship of an important book by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it got to be where he thought one of the most important missions he could undertake was to publish those kinds of books the sorts of books and authors that were being censored elsewhere, people who may have had important or interesting messages to tell. Here's my interview with Tony Lyons of Skyhorse Publishing. If you could describe Skyhorse Publishing, what kind of a publishing house that is, what would you say? Uh, Well, it's a fiercely independent publishing company that's privately owned that can't be controlled um, and that uh, has published something like 10,000 books over the last 17 years um, in a wide variety of subject areas. Um, But we're best known and I'm most closely attached to the books that we publish that are controversial, uh, that are from people who are censored, vilified, unfairly treated, you know, that sort of thing. Well, let me start by saying thank you for doing that. And I think people are starting to become more aware of the highly censored environment that we live in. I've, I've said often that pretty much any source of information that can be taken over or influenced is being influenced or taken over, often in invisible ways people don't see. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience in the publishing industry and how you came to become aware of it? this was an issue, this sort of censorship, as it always been? Yeah, I mean, one of the first really, you know, badly censored books that I published was Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s, um, uh, let's see, well, so I guess the the place that I should start is uh, Thimerosal, Let the Science Speak. So that's a book that Bobby Kennedy wrote in, I think, 2013, And we published it, I think, in uh, early 2014. And when we published that, uh, we didn't send out any pre-publication copies. 
And it was an incredibly well-researched book. It cited hundreds of peer-reviewed studies showing that thimerosal, which is a form of mercury uh, and was in some vaccines and is still in some flu vaccines, caused all kinds of uh, problems for young children. Um, many of the symptoms that are associated with autism. And, you know, that book, when it came out, should have been a landmark book that people read closely and kind of uh, wondered whether it could be true, um, debated the claims made in it, read the peer-reviewed studies. But, in, but in, instead of that, what happened was the book was just ignored mostly by the mainstream media. Bobby Kennedy received, you know, hit pieces in major newspapers, uh, you know, saying that uh, that his work was misinformation and that he shouldn't be trusted and that sort of thing. So, you know, that was my first sort of foray into uh, the kinds of censorship that would later become much more prominent. Prior to that, what was your experience? What was your niche, if you had one, if it wasn't sort of these types of books on these topics? Yeah, so we published in, you know, 18 different imprints. Uh, so we published children's books, history, politics, sports. Um, let's see, science fiction, narrative nonfiction. So, you know, many different categories. And... Uh, but most of the books that we published, you know, prior to that book weren't controversial books. And interesting that you decided to go ahead and stand behind that sort of thing. It, in some ways, it can't be easy, at least speaking from someone who faces that in a, in a different context. At the same time, I was reporting on similar issues because there was a lot of inquiry and science coming out about the vaccine autism links. And at first, all of that information was embraced. People did want to discuss it and debate it and get to the bottom of the autism epidemic. But when the pharmaceutical industry pulled its strings, I also quickly saw um, at the networks and news organizations that it became very difficult to report accurately on, on that topic. So I'm well familiar with that, but a lot of people buckle when that happens because I assume it can hurt your bottom line. I, I assume that people pressure you. Did you have that happen to you? Did colleagues or anybody come to you and try to get you not to support these types of books or not to publish them? Yeah, there were a lot of different forms that that took. I mean, when I when I looked at it, you know, it seemed pretty clear that, you know, there was a very strong argument that you could get all of the different symptoms of autism from a variety of vaccines that if you looked at the package inserts, um, some of them even list autism as a reported side effect. So it seemed at the very least like a topic that everybody should want to discuss and should want to get to the bottom of because who on earth would not want children to be more healthy and who on earth would want to put things into young children's body that could cause them harm. So the kinds of censorship that I think I received was that more and more people started to describe us as a conspiracy theory publisher. People who worked for me 
refused to work on all kinds of books that we were publishing. Um, there was a uh, kind of a union drive, even though it was a very small company, and it and and it seemed pretty clear that the that the reason for that was just to cause trouble and to uh, to kind of put pressure on us. Um, there were articles written in in various newspapers and magazines that you know uh, sort of cherry picked our our list of books and tried to find the most controversial and paint us in a negative light. Uh, you know, it was right around then that we started to publish uh, other somewhat controversial books. So we published uh, Jesse Ventura's um, American Conspiracies. Uh, then we, you know, we've published more John F. Kennedy assassination books than any other publisher, something like 60 books. Um, so we started to get that that reputation and, you know, were were, you know, treated badly in, in, in lots of different areas. Some some agents wouldn't wouldn't send books to us. Um, some some authors wouldn't publish with us because they saw other books that we published that they didn't like. Things like that. And this is such an alien concept to me. The sim a similar thing happened in the documentary world with. Um, gosh. The Robert De Niro trying to actually have screened or screen at film festival in New York, a great film um, about this whole topic and focusing on a whistleblower at CDC, a senior scientist who admitted that he and his colleagues had destroyed evidence to downplay a link that they'd found between vaccines and autism and black boys. But um the documentary folks, I'm not sure who's responsible. I suspect it was the advertisers, though his co-founder of the festival, De Niro's claimed it wasn't. But um, they said, oh, we don't want that film shown here. You know, we're, we're having a rising up. But books and film is should be the place where people can go and read all kinds of views. And even if they want to read a view or or information that they decide isn't true, their right should be for the information to be there. But what what made you stick it through instead of just saying this is too much trouble? Yeah, so I think that, you know, people have asked me why I was not afraid of the consequences. And I think that the, you know, that people should fear much more the consequences of giving up our constitutional rights, giving up our freedom of speech rights, and of living in a in a country where you don't have real debate on anything, you know, not on science, not on foreign policy. I mean, anything that the government feels really strongly about, you know, you can't talk about. Um, you know, there was a great clip that I just watched where Chuck Schumer was um, was on some network TV show uh, something like six years ago. And he was joking that, um, that Donald Trump had uh, said bad things about the CIA and the intelligence agencies, all of the other ones, and that, you know, he was going to really suffer for that and that the intelligence agencies had ways to make you pay, ways to make you suffer, you know, six ways from Sunday or something like that. And, you know, to have a senator come out and say that you should be afraid of the intelligence agencies 
who are hired by the American people to keep them safe. You know, is is such a crazy concept that um, that a, that a president can't look at what the agencies of government are doing. That a senator is afraid to do that. And you know, if you look at at Bobby Kennedy uh, and the things that he said, you know, in his book The Real Anthony Fauci, he claims that the government agencies are are all corrupt and that they're basically just taking money from the companies that they're supposed to be regulating in all kinds of ways. And, you know, when he wrote that book, it, it became the most censored book in, in, in my lifetime. I mean, I can't think of any other book that was censored in more ways. And part of the reason for that isn't that the desire wasn't there to censor other books, but that the censorship tools that people have now are just so much more advanced. I mean, they're, they're tools that would be the envy of any dictator in the history of the United States or maybe of the world. Agreed. Um, so before we will keep going and talk about the new book, but can you talk a little bit about the real Anthony Fauci? I thought that was a fabulous book with the detail. I mean, people, what they may not understand about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is his grasp of detail on the subjects he knows is so incredible. He's not being briefed on this by anybody. And anyone who tries to debate him is probably going to be outmatched, at least anybody in journalism, as they've tried to call what he says misinformation when they clearly don't have, you know, even a basic understanding of the facts. It's just not going to work in terms of being an even even debate because he knows so much. Tell tell us a little bit about what that book was about. Yeah, I mean, first I would like to say that, you know, all of these words that have been used to sort of cast aspersions on Robert F. Kennedy Jr., like, you know, conspiracy theorist, misinformation, you know, domestic terrorist, you know, any of, of these kinds of things, they're all signs of weakness. I mean, they're signs of people who are unwilling to debate the issues and who are trying everything they can to discredit the person who's making the claim. So when this book came out, I mean, Robert F. Kennedy worked literally 16 hours a day for nine months, seven days a week to write the real Anthony Fauci. And, you know, he put everything he had into this book and he researched it so meticulously. And then he had a whole team of people double checking all of his citations. And there are 2,194 citations. So this is really an historic document claiming corruption at the highest levels of government. And when it came out and it was selling like crazy, there was not a single review. So it was a totally grassroots operation. So there were no reviews. You couldn't buy the book in, in uh, bookstores. You couldn't find it in libraries. You couldn't place ads for it in the New York Times, in any major newspaper. You couldn't place ads for it on any big tech platforms. And, you know, um, on, on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, he was taken down. His videos were taken down. Comments that he made on the book were taken down. I was on Tucker Carlson to talk about the censorship of the book, and that interview was censored. So you couldn't even find that on any big tech platform. In a democracy, you would hope that a serious person writes a serious book that has a blurb from a Nobel Prize winner 
and you know numerous doctors and scientists and lawyers would would mean that the government has to answer those questions those claims of corruption so the fact that what actually happened is that Dr. Fauci wouldn't debate him. He wouldn't go on television to talk about it. They just used these, you know, euphemisms like misinformation, disinformation to try to discredit him because they were afraid that he had exposed the incredible financial entanglements and the fraud that led to the COVID vaccines and led our government to um, force people to take a product that was not effective, not safe, that injured and killed people. Um, but, you know, whether or, or, or not it actually did, the question is, you know, the point is that these were really serious claims and they were not addressed. And the only thing that happened was that Bobby Kennedy was attacked. Well, I think he draws so much attention in part because he is so potentially damaging and so credible, uh, damaging to this group that works together. I don't know what you call it, conglomerate of government slash pharmaceutical industry slash media, because this couldn't occur without the media's consent in a, in a neutral media environment or a more neutral one like I came up in years ago at CNN and CBS, there would be critical looks at these, this sort of censorship and fair looks at the claims being made, these important discussions about science, but that doesn't happen. Like you say, it's just the effort to censor. Um, did you publish the, there was an award-winning book also about the Marisol by journalist David Kirby? No, but I, but I know that book. Well, that was, you know, that was, I think, gosh, it was pretty early on that he wrote a book as well about this whole issue of vaccines and autism and a brave guy, boy, to, to say that when he published that, because he was really reputable guy, um, attacked by his own, he comes from, the, he will tell you, he comes from the left and attacked by his own left-leaning colleagues, even after the book had won an investigative reporting award. But um, today, I don't think he could publish that book or that it would be published except for a place like like your publishing house, you know, that the atmosphere has narrowed so much. Can you tell me um, some of the other books that besides the John F. Kennedy conspiracy books or whatever that you mentioned, some other books people might be interested in the topics that you've published that were rejected? Yeah. And, so, yeah. yeah, so there there are a couple of other books that, that are just coming out now. One of them is called The War on Ivermectin, the medicine that saved millions but could have ended the entire pandemic. And that's by Dr. Pierre Corey. Uh, with a forward by uh, Dell Bigtree. And it's an incredible story because it's the sort of backstory of the attacks on early treatment that were required in order to get vaccines to be exempted from you know proper research and testing. And so, you know, Dr. Fauci waged this war on any early treatment, any possible treatment that uh, could have helped people other than vaccines. And the point was that to get a waiver of the government rules on uh, you know, testing of vaccines or medications, you had to prove that nothing else was viable. 
So he went after all of these things, you know, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, other things um, for the sole purpose of ensuring that the vaccine program succeeded so that his, you know, pharmaceutical partners could make the $100 billion that I believe they made. So, you know, what Dr. Pierre Corey shows, and he goes through many of the peer-reviewed studies, um, is that, you know, ivermectin is not uh, a, a horse drug. There is a kind of it that is used for horses and for livestock, but that that was just government disinformation aimed at fooling the American public and aimed at, at one thing only, which was getting the vaccines approved and in as many arms as possible throughout the world. And so Dr. Pierre Corey was also vilified and subjected to hit pieces and so much trouble in his personal and professional life. Uh, but he stood up and, and spoke out and went on to hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and, 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 and never gave up. And this book is the sort of culmination of, of that process. I assume now, you know, a lot of people who write in this area know to come to your company to get something published. But before they knew that, and they would maybe work with their agents, with other publishing companies and so on, what are some of the stories you heard from them about how their work was being rejected and why? Yeah, so there were many cases where people were about to publish a book with some other publisher. Um, and the book was then canceled for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you know, some of the time, the reason was that, um, that there was a story that the person might have done something bad at some point in their history, or that they had been accused of something. So there was this new sort of uh, system of guilt by accusation. And that's the title of a book that we did with Alan Dershowitz. And it's sort of the idea that that the public or that the employees of a country or of a, of a company or, um, you know, other um, writers or in, in the case of Joe Rogan, it was it was other other uh, it was it was musicians, but that that people can sort of just get together and cancel somebody in an extrajudicial decision to ruin their professional life or their personal life. So I heard a lot of stories of, of that sort of thing. But the book that I'm really proud of right now is the book, The Real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth Warrior by Dick Russell, because I think it's it it shows so clearly what happened to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and and so many other people. But it's a it's a great story because if you ask the average person on the street what they think about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., they would say, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer, he's a conspiracy theorist, but they wouldn't know what his real life has been like, and they wouldn't know that the people who call him anti-vaccine are the people who are you know, acting in corrupt ways, who are running greedy companies that are meant to uh, just make as much money as they can at the expense of public health. So if RFK Jr. is anything, he is a corruption fighter, just like his father. So he's going out there and calling these people corrupt, risking everything. You know, when you think of what Chuck Schumer said, he's calling the U.S. government corrupt. 
and they have all kinds of ways to go after you. And they can control media. They have partnerships with the big pharmaceutical companies and with the big tech companies. And it's hard to fight back. And he has fought back over 40 years. He brought more than 500 lawsuits. And all the things that people say about him need to be looked at in the context of the people who he has hurt and the people who he's trying to hurt uh, as he tries to protect the American public from this new fascism, from this fascism that has grown over the last 30 or 40 years and has gotten to a point where it's, it is the government of the United States now, that, that it, is, it is an organization that controls the media, that controls the big companies, that controls the government, and it is it is almost the definition of fascism. And for a lot of people, it's hard to see. But I also think a lot of people are waking up to what's really happening, maybe more so than before the pandemic. Is the book already published? It's coming out uh, June 20th. And the name again? It's The Real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth Warrior. Will that be available other places or that is that too hard to distribute right now? So I, I think that, you know, it's the same kind of thing that, you know, small bookstores all around the country that, you know, I would like to help. I would like to see them make money. But, you know, they in most cases, um, you know, have been subjected to this, you know, incredible propaganda so that they think that they're doing something bad by promoting freedom of speech and by allowing a different viewpoint to be explored in a book. And, and they've sort of come up with this idea, which is really shocking, but that is that you should only buy a book that you know beforehand you agree with. So you look at the, at, at the cover, you look at the title, and you decide whether you think it's appropriate to read or for any of your customers to, to read. I mean, I would say that you should buy books that you expect to disagree with, you know, that would challenge your views on the world so that maybe you would learn something. Maybe you would, you know, have some kind of transformation because, you know, if anything, that's why you would read a book to get a different perspective, to actually have the possibility of changing and of getting to a, to a better place in your life and a more clear recognition of, of what's going on in the world. So where can people look to buy this book? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not always a huge fan of, you know, any of the big tech companies now, but clearly the best place to get it is Amazon.com. Why isn't Amazon going to censor it, do you think? So they, they did censor Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and they, but they did it in, in more subtle ways. So I, I think part of the reason is that they're such a big company and they're trying hard to not alienate people. So they used more subtle methods to censor that book. And one of the ways that they did it was that they, they took the likes off the reviews that were positive. So about three months into the publication of that book, there was a rave review for it that it was, I think, one of the first ones out there. And it was by Dr. Joe Mercola. And it had 7,500 likes at the time. And so when you have a lot of likes on a, on a comment, 
it's at the top. So anybody looking at the book on the Amazon page saw that review first. So what they did was they took all the likes off the five-star reviews and left all the likes on the one stars so that all of the negative reviews went to the top. So they, they did things like that. And then they put it into this program, which for the first year of publication, um, the only way you could find the book is if you searched for it by the full title and it would never be recommended to you. So, you know, anybody who goes on that site knows that if they look for anything, they're then recommended 10 things that are similar to it. Uh, for the first year of the publication of this book, it would literally never come up. It would never be recommended to anybody. Um, and then they also put a disclaimer on it saying, you know, for uh, up-to-date information on COVID, please go to the CDC website. So that's that's which one of the- kinds of, Which has had all kinds of mistakes and misinformation and disinformation on it. Sure, definitely. Well, let me just say that all of those tactics sound familiar. Not only have similar things happened to me and with social media and so on, but particularly when I have written about or passed around a podcast with Robert F. Kennedy, um, in general, I can watch my impressions go backwards in real time, which is impossible. You know, first of all, it's the accounts are down throttled, as they say. They're they're not distributed to all the people who follow. And then my accounts anyway, but then speak about RFK Jr. And I can watch by the thousands, you know, the, the impressions will go up and then dial back and they'll still fight, fight and go up and then dial back by 5,000, you know, and it's just incredible. Also, when I would try to tag him on Twitter with an at symbol, you know, his, his handle so that people looking for stuff with him or he would see that I was distributing his podcast interview with him normally as you're saying it's sort of like self-populate when you start to type in robert kennedy or robert f kennedy and it quit doing that after a couple of days and instead instead of suggesting the fill out with his real account it would suggest a fill out or a visit to a spoof account that was looked like it was his account but there was one letter missing but nobody would really be the wiser the way it was set up and there's all i'm just saying this to let people know, and they probably intuitively do know, there's all kinds of tactics that are being used every day to censor, you know, maybe not entirely, they're not necessarily pulling down your whole account all the time, but these insidious ways that they're shaping and making sure people aren't seeing information. And I think he's in for a real big, well, Donald Trump, Donald Trump treatment, I guess we could say, because Donald Trump got a lot of similar treatment. Much more after a short break. Eyeshadow has come a long way since you swiped on one color at a time or practically had to take a master class in cosmetics to get the shading right. Hi, I'm Star, owner of the Lemonade Mermaid, and I've designed an exclusive shade-shifting multichrome pigment for eyes that's like no other you'll ever see. Just swipe it on your eyelids and the magic happens. Depending on the angle and light, it shifts between hues of golden pink, or green and pink, and even purple and gold. The shading is done for you. Just $25 for a jar that will last you months. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off these incredible pigments by using the checkout code PODCAST. 
I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life today. Do you think there's any way someone like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in this climate breaks through, like the Democrats aren't going to allow a debate between, he's running for president, I'll mention in case people don't know, uh, they're not going to allow a debate between Robert F. Kennedy and Joe Biden. How does he get um, a serious look by people when the media, if they use him at all, are going to discredit him rather than just sort of inform people about his positions? So I think that, you know, I've I've co-founded a super PAC called AmericanValues2024.org. And we're we're working really hard to try to amplify his messages and to kind of make up for some of the censorship. But, you know, it's it's one thing to censor books, one thing to, you know, on on uh, uh, Instagram, I tried to boost a photograph of Bobby Kennedy and I holding a copy of his book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and they rejected it. And I was thinking this this was just last week. And I was thinking, you know, how could they reject that? And I realized that they had to have facial recognition software. So they're doing it in every conceivable way by keywords, by facial recognition. So but but the fact that Bobby Kennedy's numbers are still good, you know, that there was a, a presidential candidate likability poll that came out yesterday and it had Bobby Kennedy in front of both Trump and Biden, which which I think is really just incredible when you look at the censorship you know, even today of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., that, you know, his his YouTube clips are are routinely taken down. Um, you you still can't advertise in in lots of places. And like I said, you can't even post a picture of, of him, you know, in in certain places. So the fact that he still got so much traction is kind of an amazing thing. And what he said is that he believes that this is the first election that's going to be decided by podcasts and radio shows. And I think that's true. I think that that the mainstream media, that the legacy media is getting, you know, on the main shows now, two million or two and a half million hits. But, you know, Tucker Carlson got, you know, on his first uh, Twitter show, 120 million views. And Joe Rogan is getting you know, 10 to 12 million views. So, and and Bobby Kennedy, he was on Joe Rogan today. So I think that 12 million people can listen for three hours to what he really believes. So I, th- I think the American people are sort of cutting through this censorship. They know it's going on. They know that there's been an incredible amount of propaganda and they're just not willing to put up with it anymore. They're rebelling and they're rebelling by by putting their focus in areas that they can trust. And, you know, Tucker Carlson, when his show was still on Fox, you know, with 3.5 million viewers, um, his data showed that 35% of those people were Democrats because they were people who knew that they couldn't go to mainstream, you know, TV shows and get the real news. And even though they disagreed with Tucker on a lot of things, they thought that he would say things. He was not afraid of anybody. And so we saw what what not being afraid leads to. And it's it's that he, you know, he gets kicked off Fox. But now he's got an even better platform. 
And I think that there are a growing number of people in this country, maybe 100 million, maybe 150 million, who are starting to understand exactly what's happening. And they're not going to stand for it anymore. And they're going to force the Democratic Party, force the DNC to allow debates. And that, you know, Joe Biden's not going to be able to hide for the entire, you know, next six, seven months till the primary start. And he's going to have to come out, tell the American people what he believes, defend himself, debate. And we've got to get real democracy back into America. Well, you make a, a good point. I, I myself wondered if the Democrat Party does not want debates, but people, that party is really people. It's not, I don't know, everything's so twisted up now. It's as if the government thinks it rules over us and treats us as if it rules over us instead of understanding that it derives its power and authority from us. And much like that, the political parties kind of tell what's going to happen to the members of the parties who may want something entirely different. And I haven't spoken to a single Democrat I know who says, that's great, no debates. You know, they want to hear different views. And I urge people, I don't publicly endorse anybody. I'm not even, I don't know that much about politics, but from a standpoint as a journalist of censorship of information and these, which I think is one of the most important issues of our time, I urge people to look at the positions of all the candidates but Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Donald Trump, there are reasons why they are the two most censored people that are in these races. And part of that has to do with the fact of how effective they would be or could be or have been in, in certain areas that they talk about or specialize in. And it's funny because I interviewed Kennedy the other day and he acknowledges that he sounds like Trump on so many issues. Now, obviously one's a Democrat, one's a Republican, Although Trump's not all that conservative in many areas. And Kennedy, I see from what I know, you can tell me if you disagree, he's sort of a traditional liberal that didn't change all that much compared to others in the party that have gone, seems like in a whole different direction. And those two positions on some things like war and the information censorship, the Trump and the Kennedy positions are not, there's not much air between them. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I was thinking the same kind of thing that that on certain subject matter, you know, they they are close. So when you think about the border and the, you know, the the, the problems on our southern border. So Biden's policies seem to be to just want to undo anything Trump did. And that's you know, that's how he got into power. It was just, you know, trying to get people who didn't like Trump. So he didn't have any real policies that I could see. And he hasn't followed up. He, he hasn't sort of followed through and, you know, um, backed up the claims that he made and the promises that he made. But his border policy was was just to undo everything Trump did. And, you know, to take the cameras down. Um, to, you know, stop any kind of building of a wall. So Bobby Kennedy went down there and, you know, he was the first candidate who interviewed a lot of people. And the first thing that he saw was people were just sauntering across the border. And so he started to interview those people and he found that you know the mainstream media just hadn't covered this issue. So he was able to just go down there and find breaking news stories. And one of the breaking news stories there was that there are people from all around the world who are not, you know, it's not just caravans coming from Guatemala through, through Mexico. It's people from all around the world flying into Mexico City 
taking a bus or a train or a car to the border and then walking across the border. So people from China, people from, you know, all around the Far East, people from Africa, from South America. So, you know, that's not a real policy. So Biden has no border policy. So Bobby Kennedy has said that he would make the border impervious. And that does sound a little bit like Trump, that he would build a wall. So but clearly, you know, we need people to come to this country from around the world to do work that that, you know, we need to have done that Americans in some cases aren't willing to do. Or, you know, we're a country that's trying to, to grow and we've always needed people coming, but it needs to be done in an orderly way. And there are all kinds of ways that it that it could be done. I mean, if 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 there's a there's a shortage of carpenters, we can you know advertise all around the world and bring people in and have the employers pay for those flights. But I mean, to have no policy so that the richest and most powerful country in the world is a country that you can just walk across the border into makes no sense at all. So I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. you know has realistic, rational policies that are not based on just trying to be different from Biden or different from Donald Trump, that he's trying to do things that make sense. Well, that's that will appeal to a lot of people, but probably not to the Democrat establishment. And he's got to get, you know, get support from Democrats. And I, I think there is a significant number of Democrats who would support him as well as independents. And it's going to be very interesting. Anything I can do to help get the word out about anybody, just information, especially that which other people are trying to censor. I love to do it. If people are intrigued by the conversation, is there a place they could go look at a list of your books that you offer and they can see, hey, these are some interesting books that no one else would publish and they might like to buy them? Where would they go? Yeah, that would be great. They could go to skyhorsepublishing.com and to, you know, sort of see, you know, regular update, uh, updates on what's going on with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., they can go to AmericanValues2024.org. And we're going to keep that really updated. And we're going to be out there trying to make sure that the American people gets to know who the real RFK Jr. is and why he should be president. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. And anybody who's trying to break through this environment um, deserves a lot of credit. I think it's true that people are becoming wise to it. I, I guess one of the good things about the audacious control that the propagandists attempted, particularly during COVID, but I would say even as back as far as Donald Trump running for office, it woke a lot of people up who didn't consider themselves people who cared all that much about these things or thought to care about. But when they saw really over the top behavior to control our information and what we think, it turned people into activists who weren't activists. It made them care about something they they really didn't think that much about. So, yeah. if at the end, this is helping people get involved and engaged in, you know, what they want our country to be like. I guess that's that's all. Hopefully, will turn out good. Yeah, that that's my thought, and I and I think that you know Bobby Kennedy does stand for a lot of things that Democrats have historically stood for. You know, Democrats have always believed in freedom of of speech. This is a very recent change, and I and I think that 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 deviation from Democratic Party values, you know, needs to be reversed and that that's what being a Kennedy Democrat means, that, you know, he believes in freedom of speech. He believes that we should, you know, bring the soldiers 
back from these endless wars all around the world where there are no objectives and that we should, you know, begin the process of rebuilding the middle class. So there's so many things that I think resonate with Democrats if they can actually hear him talk, because, you know, what could be more of a traditional democratic principle than to rebuild the middle class, to bring more jobs to the American public, to protect the water and the air and the food that we eat and the products that are put into our bodies. I mean, the distrust of big corporate America and the distrust of government has always been at the core of what it is to be a Democrat. And it's only in very recent years that that's changed. So I, I think there's a good chance that a lot of Democrats, more than the, I mean, now they're 22 percent in some of the polls, and some of them go up to 30 percent of the 80 million people or so who voted for Biden. So that's, you know, 15 to 25 million Democrats who are already saying that they're not satisfied with what Biden's done, and they think that that Bobby Kennedy would do a better job. So I, I think that's a good start when you look at that, you know, uh, through the lens of the incredible propaganda and censorship that he's beginning to break through. But I think when he breaks through all the way, it's going to be an easy choice between Biden and Bobby Kennedy. Well, and if the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, does not want to have a debate, nothing stops the two candidates from arranging one on their own or letting someone else arrange one. If Biden feels there's pressure to and chooses to do it, he certainly he certainly can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think that I would hold my breath that I don't <laughs> I don't think Biden's ever going to debate anybody that he doesn't have to. But I was thinking maybe Bobby Kennedy should debate Donald Trump that, you know, maybe that's where even though, you know, they they do, as you pointed out, have some things in common. You know, both of them are 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 anti-war. Uh, both of them are pro, um, you know, solving our border problems and, and, and various other things. But they also do differ on many, you know, fundamental issues. And it would be good for the American public to see what those things are and to hear two people who are willing to debate, debate each other. That's a great idea. Boy, a lot of people would watch that. And do you have four more minutes for one more thing I forgot to ask you about? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, so Kennedy has met Trump, I don't know how many times. But if you know the story, I'll let you fill in the blanks. Um, shortly after Donald Trump took office, he convened a meeting with Kennedy, and I don't know if other people were there, to talk about forming a vaccine safety commission that will look at all these issues that impact really hundreds of millions of Americans that the scientific community controlled through our establishment is, I will say, covering up based on evidence I've seen. But anyway... Um, according to Kennedy, I believe, or do you want to pick up the story from there? Yeah. So the story is that Donald Trump invited him to, you know, Trump Tower and said that he wanted him to start, uh, you know, vaccine safety commission. And, you know, Bobby Kennedy, you know, true to form is willing to talk to, to negotiate with anybody and, and to try to really do the work that's necessary to help the American public and to promote the health of the, you know, of the US population, you know, primarily children. And so he was ready to do it. Um, he was, you know, all set to go ahead with protecting 
people from these big pharmaceutical companies. And then that was at the last minute that just sort of that opportunity disappeared. So the the claim is that uh, Donald Trump got a very large contribution from Pfizer. Um, I have not personally investigated that, but I believe it to be true. So I think that, you know, there are things that Donald Trump and Bobby Kennedy disagree on that are very serious. And one of them is that, you know, Bobby Kennedy was against all of the COVID countermeasures and, and, and the way that they were carried out and called out the incredible corruption in that whole process and the harm that came to the American public because of that corruption. And, you know, on the other side of that is Donald Trump, who continues for whatever reason to uh, take credit for Operation Warp Speed. So I don't understand why he does that, but he's been doing that. And, uh, and, and so that's something that, you know, listeners ought to really think about, that that's a place where they disagree strongly. Well, clearly, you know, Kennedy knows, from what I can tell, a lot more about the granular detail of these, the vaccine industry and all these medical topics than Trump would. And Trump at the time, I was trying to think about what it would be like to be him during the COVID outbreak, he was surrounded by these establishment people who were implicated, first of all, in the COVID pandemic, who were whispering, not just whispering in his ear, yelling in his ear and telling him, I'm sure that, you know, a billion people would die if, if we didn't shut down immediately. And I don't know what I'd have done. I'd like to think that I would have done the right thing, but it was hard at the time to know that that was going to be the wrong thing. Not defending, I'm just saying that I think Kennedy has more information at his fingertips about how all of this works than a typical politician. And yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, that Donald Trump did really genuinely want to drain the swamp, had an idea of, of the corruption that was going on, but didn't have the tools to do it. And I think that the difference with Bobby Kennedy is that he's been fighting these people for 40 years, that he's brought hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits that he knows the details, he knows where the bodies are buried. And if he got into power, he would really drain the swamp. I mean, he would end the corruption of our agencies of government, and he would not allow them to collude with these big companies at the expense of the American people. Tony Lyons, thank you so much. It's been very interesting to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, you'll leave a great review and share it with your friends. And check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, for more original reporting and interviews on off-narrative topics that powerful interests often try to censor. It's never been more important to support independent reporting. You can do that by going to the CherylAckeson.com website, click the Store tab, and browse our great products. The most popular new slogan that I have on products there is, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All the old ones came true. Proceeds support causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards, giving cash awards recognizing and encouraging independent off-narrative reporting by college students and professionals. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.